Hello and welcome to Dungeoneered, a podcast dedicated to discussing Dungeons and Dragons. I'm Aaron. And I'm Josh. Let's do this. So Josh, we um, last week started kind of like a new lukewarm open series as I adjust my microphone because I suck at podcasting. <laughs> hey, we're professionals. We new, yeah, we're definitely professional. My and there's a low tremor. My yeah yeah, my microphone stand like I'm sitting really far away from my desk, and my microphone stand has to like, you know when you try to like reach. stretch and reach, and you just like can't make it. That's what mm-hmm. my microphone is doing right now. It's like, I gotta reposition myself. But anyways, we started last week a new kind of like little lukewarm open thing that I kind of wanted to experiment and try out with, and okay. that's kind of like the concept of you are given no time, no nothing to prep. A D&D campaign, right? Mm-hmm. Players come up to you, four people come up to you, and they're like, hey, let's start a D&D campaign. We're starting next week. Cool? Cool. And you're like, cool. And then you start a D&D campaign. And so I kind of wanted to make this concept of where we try our best to make a D&D campaign without any world building at all. It's just you have to jump into it. Mm-hmm. And so last week, we started trying to brainstorm some ideas about how and where a group would start And if you have these four random, like, barbarian, wizard, cleric, ranger, or whatever in your party, how do you run a D&D campaign without it? So we came up with, well, we're going to kind of start in this town, and we decided that how we're going to kind of get the party together is we're going to have this NPC who they meet and kind of, like, gets them out of a bad situation. We didn't determine what that was. We didn't determine how they did it. But it was more along the lines of this good guy helps them get out of a situation but he actually is like kind of working with somebody who's evil or maybe is evil himself. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of wanted but to But I kind of had it more off. less of less of him being a good guy and more of him like I don't have time for this and okay. like helps okay. them and walks on. Okay, got it, got it. Um so they don't I have guess, a whole lot of time with I guess character. more along the lines of what I was thinking is he's like a perceived Yes, he's a perceived good guy. A yes. perceived good guy. Cuz yes, cuz one society, of the things is like you he's... want to set up stuff early that sounds like you did a lot of prep for it and then figure but out what didn't. the details are later <laughs> yeah, <absolutely. laughs> when you have the so, time yeah, I, like he is a perceived good person mm-hmm. within society like a yes. guard captain or something along those lines mm-hmm. right like a, somebody who's trusted in you know at the very least a good person within society yeah and gets and um, gets your parties like thinking about oh who could he be what's going on exactly and so what i to do is I wanted to build this town. I kind of wanted to start because we're going to take the next few weeks to kind of like build this town and make a session. Like say you took an average week, you got seven days, you do like 20 minutes of prep each day, right? And you make a campaign. So I kind of want to do that for us. So today I want to make the town. And this is kind of difficult because when you're thinking of making towns, at least in my mind, you think a lot about the world. Where is it located? What are we looking at here? And if you don't have time to make that kind of stuff, it gets a little bit trickier, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So when you think of a D&D town, a good starting town, the essentials you need in it are as follows, question mark. <laughs> what do you think those are? I don't... I... Ooh, am I going to stump you for the first... No, I just open? don't like the question. Okay, why do you like the question? Because I don't think it needs to be a starting town. I don't think there has to be... I think the answer is nothing. I think you the don't answer, think it needs to be a starting town? 
No, I think you could you could have it start in a city that has a million things. You can start in a town that has very little to nothing. It could literally just be a shack and one person living there. I don't think there there needs to be those requirements or or um, rules for any of it. See, for me, and I'm gonna I think I'm gonna differ from you here. I think in this scenario, I think the town is the best scenario. Because you can create things to do, but you don't have to create a lot of stuff, right? You so can limit you can them. Create, yeah, you can limit people really easy in a town. You, well, you I would still say, have okay. interesting things that are If I wanted to create a town that limited the players just for now, as almost like a tutorial town, I would have it under some sort of quarantine. So they would have to close the doors, of the close the walls, not allowing anyone in or out interesting that is a very interesting concept and Do you maybe think that would work in a in like a quick as a long quick as you building, make it uh, interesting like as long as you make whatever like i i would make the city or t- uh, town seem big so that when the party asks to do things or like maybe even have it be like the party is desperate like the party has no money they don't know where they're gonna find food they're a low enough level they can't just create food. And so they're going to have to find some way to make money. And whether they want to try and do that from mundane means, like, oh, we're going to try and run a job real quick of like, oh, let's transport food or tra- like transport something around the town. Or like, is there any any hope of quests of some sort of uh, board of that people need adventurers help for in the city? Like, they have to find their way of how they're going to make the money. Interesting. See, I kind of had a little bit of a different take and a different idea. Um, when my when I'm thinking of like quick a quick starting town that I can throw together really quick, I think of a town made by necessity. Not necessarily like the people there live there because they are required to live there, but the players end up there because of necessity. Right. Because Mm -hmm. I don't have time to sit and think about a backstory. I don't have time to sit and think about a world, but I have time to put a party in a position where they have to go to that town. And I have time to not necessarily make them think that they're required to go to that town, but that the circumstances that they find themselves in bring them to that town. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And so. My thought is, is you have this long session, right? And it doesn't necessarily mean that I start in this town, but halfway or three-fourths of the way we end up in this town. And so if I was in this position and I was running this kind of campaign and trying to create really fast, you know, I got a week to do it, my first initial thought is I need the party, A, to get together somehow, mm. <laughs> right? That's and and that's the biggest question of all D and D campaigns, right? That's always that's always my at least for me that's always my least favorite thing to do because I'm always like I don't know how to make well so okay. feel like they're a party. I do I well, I do want to say that in relation to what we were talking about before we started recording, I think if you're trying to delay a first session, like to kind of with only creating stuff that you know your party's not going to like run a million miles away from. Doing the starting that we were talking about that you love, that you love how Brennan Lee Mulligan kind of has people in these microcosms of focusing on their life and then eventually getting them together partway through. Like if you start someone like one person walking to the town, 
another person in the town trying to do something like and you you kind of focus on these small stories to start that will give you more time absolutely no and absolutely. also when and you're I, focusing I, like that i don't think a player's in, in like a player's idea won't be oh i need to run away from this it's like oh this is a story it's leading me somewhere i'm gonna focus on this and not screw around right right well and what's good about that too is that the players do the majority of the work right like they send you their backstories and stuff but mm -hmm. i'm also thinking though and you know i don't know how common this scenario is probably not i know my first campaign started this way actually um where a bunch of people <laughs> came to me and was like let's play dnd &D. and i'm like okay let's play dnd &D, and i have no idea what i'm doing I think, um, because if I look back when I was, let's say, like, 15 or 16, my first D&D, &D, exposure to D&D, &D, I don't even remember making a backstory for my character, like, officially, you know? Like, it was kind of like, here is my cool wizard, my first character was a wizard, which is, you know, for some people might be a mistake, <laughs> but... Hey, mine was a druid. <laughs> oh, good, <laughs> yeah. I just... I That's know, I a lot of rules really cool. to know. <laughs> yeah i know well and i'm the same way because i was like okay wild shape like how really does this work class okay but i'm moon druid how do i okay so i can have higher crs but now i have to know the cr system what is the cr system and this is before oh, D, &D right. beyond so you don't you you have to like look in the book to be like what beasts are my cr that i can do oh man oh yeah exactly and my problem was is i just opened the player's handbook and i was like wizard cool i get seven spells at level one open up level first level spells oh i gotta read 20 i gotta read 35 spells <laughs> i have no idea what any of these do or what any of this means but so i'm i i think with like you know when i again when i was first exposed i didn't really make a backstory it was like here's my wizard this is what i think he looks like in my head this is what i think he does in my head this is kind of like his personality you know and then like vague you know oh maybe he didn't have parents or whatever or maybe he did have parents mm -hmm. or you know like it wasn't really a fully you know, created character. And I think that can be a problem for a lot of people. And so my issue with starting the way that like Brendan Lee Mulligan does in this scenario is that a player's backstory kind of relies a lot on your world. And if you don't have a lot on your world, you know, it's a little bit more difficult. But I mm -hmm. do love the idea still, though, because then the players can make stuff in your world, right? They come up with this backstory and you just throw it in there. <laughs> you know, like, you're okay, <laughs> it's there. <laughs> See, now right? the thing is, my... my my first encounter, my first character, I, I was kind of the opposite. I wrote a backstory. Really? I had all this stuff where I had wants and, and things, and my character had stuff that they wanted to do. But it was thrown into a world with such an opposite play style than what I was expecting that ah. uh, it, uh, well, let a, it felt almost like my character's backstory didn't matter. And wasn't in, and like my who I was as a character, they, I could literally be swapped out with anybody and it wouldn't change the story. Like it, nothing, yeah. it felt like my character had no meaning and no purpose other than as it's a stack of hit points to, and a few spells. It's just for yeah, it's just for you to en to enjoy. I guess you don't really get to experience it within the game, right? And 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 like, they, like that's the the person I played with was a guy, his son, my dad, and me, and. Uh, in one of the guy's friends. Um, I think I played a one-shot with them, didn't I? You did, I? you did. Yeah, uh, that was I my remember first one-shot I'd ever run. <laughs> um, that was my first time DMing your oh, first over, one. ever, and it's and you guys cheesed it. It was fantastic, and I oh, will oh, yeah, forever I remember. remember what happened. I had I had guys in a cave, uh, a bunch of, like, werewolves and wolves in a cave, <laughs> 
And you guys Dungeon just laid Gear down. Presents guys guys in a cave. You guys just <laughs> laid down. Um, I think it was like um, it was like uh, like a spike growth or something out front. So every few feet that they ran through this, they took damage. And I, you guys came at it from such an angle that you had a good view into the kind of small outcropping cave that they were in. And so you could either take pot shots at them or just wait till they run across. And when they were like, just she <laughs> is the whole encounter. Yeah, I think the only thing I remember from that was getting in was like getting into like wherever this encounter was, was like incredibly like, this is how it has to be type thing. That's all I remember. And I remember too, your dad was like, Josh, that's not how the rules go. Josh, oh, don't, don't bring that up. Aaron. <laughs> that's why I can never play I with him. Your, I love your that's dad. Why I can never, <laughs> that's so I can funny. never DM for him. Cause he's like, Oh, you're my child. I will teach. <laughs> I will. I, you can't, you can't, I'm like, no, I'm the DM. This is so how it funny. works. It was, and it was it just was like, so funny. it was like, why are you fighting me on this? Like, this is my first time DMing. Like, just, it's okay. The world won't end. <laughs> oh, that was so funny. And I don't, because I, it, it was one of my first time playing. So my first campaign, and, you know, we're way off topic now, but who cares? We are so far <laughs> off the topic. <laughs> my first time, my first time playing, um, it was not a very fun experience, right? It was very, um, mm -hmm. very typical. Like you just show up with a character sheet and you sit down and you play, right? And there's not really it's it's like a book that the DM wrote and you you know you you follow it type thing. You know what I'm saying? Like there's yeah. not really anything there, and I just I I don't even really remember much about it because it was one of those things where you go to D and D and you're like, do I really want to go to D and D today? Huh? You know, <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> Yeah, so um, uh, so as I was going back to though that that was how my first one was, and I I want to say before we leave it off is that th so this guy had been this the person that we played with he had been playing D and D for a long time him and his son and other people and him and his son are very different types of people than I am and my dad is. Um, if I remember correctly, they were very so, like um and and this isn't like being mean. I want to really be clear. Okay, um, they were like really gamey game the game. People. yes that's exactly it i i that's yeah, that's how they yeah. enjoyed it they enjoyed it for i want to see if i can make something op i want to see if i can yes. game the game or uh, outsmart the game um yes and so i mean the, let me be honest the 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 kid which the kid i say he's a kid he's like 12 years older than me um <laughs> he's just the son of the other you. guy um, he graduated college when he was 13, like with oh. a, with a, I believe master's degree. Uh, Dang. he, he is very smart. That is the type of I person he, that didn't he, he play is. A paladin, right. He, he played a paladin. I don't remember he? what he played there, but in our game, he played a wizard. And ah. <laughs> so it was kind of the, the kind of games that they had learned that they both enjoy was the dad challenging the son who was super intelligent. Yeah, yeah. So for yeah. people like me, and it, it kind of just felt like I'm just here for the ride, and it and it was, <laughs> yeah. it, or or it felt like oh, we're just solving puzzles. Like it doesn't yeah. feel like yeah. the world isn't that interesting. The characters aren't like we're not. We're it doesn't feel like we're a part of a a political system where we're trying to to have our own 
ideas met. It felt like yeah, we're not telling a story together. Yeah, anymore. we're solving yeah. puzzles. And hey, look, and we solved this puzzle. Now we get a keep. Hey, we solve this yeah. puzzle. Now we get a weapon. Like, and they love that, and that is totally reasonable and made for in a D and D game. Oh, totally. I just don't want to be a part of it. <laughs> right? Yeah. No, I. It's not my favorite type of game, too. But I just that not a long-term campaign i enjoyed and so i remember because i was new so i remember sitting at the table like i don't know what i'm doing and these guys like clearly know what they're doing mm-hmm. <laughs> and i'm just here for i don't know what for but i'm here for it <laughs> <laughs> i'm here for it yeah <laughs> but um i know we're getting long i don't know how long we are go but um i want to like at least start with a way that the party gets together before they head to this town. Mm-hmm. And the reason I want to do that is because it's it helps with like, you know, it gives them a direction to go. It gives you as a DM a direction to go. So I would do and something simple. Like okay. I I don't know what the we haven't we haven't set what the main problem is of this nope. first session. We don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what I would do is have it be they kind of encounter, they all encounter something, whether it's in the same encounter or it's different encounters or it's like an encounter that the others kind of come upon partway through. But they all discover something that they need to report to the local the local police, pretty much, to the local guards saying, hey, this is a problem that you have in your forest. You need to know about this. So that'll force all of them, first off, encounter it. Then they're all going to the exact same location. Okay, I like this. I like this a lot. So let's do this. So one of my favorite ways to start a D&D campaign, because it's easy and it's simple, is either like you're in a caravan, it gets raided, you're in an airship, it crashes, and you now have to like go through the woods and get to this town, or... You just you like know, the Aroas beginning. Yeah, the, the Aroas beginning rollers. I think is a really good... Yeah, high rollers. I think it's a really good example of... Um, I'm, and again, Mark probably prepared his whole campaign, but it's a really good example of how to run a campaign if you don't have anything prepared in your world like if your characters start on an airship and it crashes in the woods guess and they don't know where they are yeah guess what you're looking for first you're trying to find a town right you're trying to find and then that town you can have not know about the greater surrounding because they're a small kind of of out of the way town so they just know about their own lives and kind of the exactly close nearby area but not more than that so you'd have to go to the big city i'm thinking you would do Exactly. So what I'm thinking you would do is you start with everybody on this airship, okay? And you give them an NPC that possibly is friends with this bad guy that we're kind of creating, right? And he gets hurt. Like, he gets hurt in this airship crash. Um, Like, you know, he breaks a leg or maybe he, you know, and he can't move. And so everybody kind of takes him to the town. And that's kind of their goal is to get him back to town. Maybe he knows that there's a town... You know, I don't know exactly where we are, but there's a town, you know, to the east. I don't see how this fits with what we've already created, though. Well, I'll show you how it fits. And what I'm thinking is along the way, they get in some sort of encounter that possibly endangers the town. Like they find goblins that are preparing some sort of siege or they, you know, some sort of equipment or does this make sense? Or they find some sort of I just have a way of doing this like real quick. Okay. Yeah. So you you keep the airship crash, but instead have... Maybe have one character on that on the ship, but most of the characters would just be walking to the town and the airship suddenly crashes near them. They all run to see what happened. 
And in doing so, when the cops show up, they're like, hey, why did you do this? And that's when our okay. guy steps up and is like, no, no, no. I saw them. They were not. They that's didn't do idea. anything. They just ran up to it. And then pre- yeah, pretty much just idea. leaves with the guards. That's a super good idea. Um, but first, give them time to kind of search the airship. airship. Yeah, they're walking before the, the guards. The airship crashes, and mm-hmm. they go to investigate what happens to the airship. Is that is that what we're thinking? Or, do, yeah. or it, it doesn't. It yeah. So they're like on. They're like traveling on the road, and it and it crashes nearby, and they run to see what happened. But by the time that they kind of get out of the wreckage, that's when the guards show up and are like, "Hey, what'd you do? Why'd what you if, crash this?" What if we took a page out of Chris's book and? the like one of the survivors gives the party an object it could yeah which could eventually lead to them being at odds with this other person who who at first saved them exactly yeah so maybe and maybe he saved them because he wanted that item and maybe if they were to like go to jail or something they wouldn't have access to it and he wouldn't be able to get it so, oh, and so he starts hunting them. That is interesting. Yeah. But he has to do it on exactly. the fly because he has a public persona. Like yeah, maybe he's like exactly. a governor or and something. So, exactly. Okay, I think that's a really good spot to, to yes. stop. Party okay, walking, so. airship crashes. Somebody gives them some sort of item and the party kind of gets somewhat blamed for what's going on. And they're escorted to the town where maybe whoever this guy is possibly saves them because he wants the item that was given mm-hmm. to them. Cool. That's super good. Okay, cool. Awesome. <laughs> now I'm going to jump into the topic because I got to go quick because <laughs> we're running long. This week, we're going to talk about the topic that we talked about last week, Cormanther, also known as Mithranor. But this week, we're going to look at it from another angle. We're going to start with a leader or Coronal named Eltergrim Irithil. Now, Eltergrim was the sixth Coronal he was the one who allowed the other races into the xenophobic society, but not for the good reasons. Instead, he did it because he feared that they, he couldn't keep them out forever. So better to allow them in slowly and on their own terms than to be forced to later. He was born into one of the four communities of Cormanther called Semberholm, a range of wooded hills that once homed elves that resided in caves. Early in life, he joined the standing army of Cormanther. He trained and took to heart much of what he learned here, maintaining his warrior lifestyle throughout, but without letting it be too overbearing. He wasn't one of those warrior rulers who were always in armor. Instead, he mostly appeared in royal robes. Now, kind of what type of elf Eltergrim Irithil was has kind of been reported differently in different writings. So it's kind in of in terms of like race up is in that the what you're air, talking about? What, which type of elf he's actually got is. it. Now, before we go, yeah, yeah. So, like, uh, the most no things kind of say that he's a gold elf, which I also don't know what a gold elf is, but supposedly it's a type of elf. <laughs> um, now, before we go too far into Eltergrim, I need to discuss how Cormanther gets its leaders. When an older coronal named Coronal Oasenth of Jurinstar fell ill, upon his fever proving incurable, and the future clearly showing that in they were going to need a new coronal soon, he who was a prophet of the god Labellus Enorath said, If we are to survive, as in the people's right, one coronal must vow to unify the tribes of this great land, 
One coronal must unify sun and moon, sky and sea, earth, tree, and root. His promise, and his promise to all, is long-lasting peace and strength okay. in unity. I have a question. And I don't know if you're going to know the yes. answer to this, but is there a lot of, like, prophets, like, prophecies and stuff in the D&D world? Because yes. I feel like there would be, yes. right? Especially with as easy access to gods as they have, there are a lot of prophets. And also how gods like to have kind of a... Uh, like to play with the world like little because uh, I, I don't know like i i have a hard time in my games using prophets i don't use a lot of prophets but i think they're very interesting See, and fun i love to prophets use. but i i have a hard time using them I, I in my um second major campaign i started every single individual Ooh. off with a prophecy Ooh, fun every single pc was approached by a similar looking prophet who gave them a prophecy that kind of led them to their first mission together. It pretty much said, you need to go here for your future and your grandeur was here. Like, this is what will start off your adventure. Okay, Go here. Do this did mission. You, did... And, and they, I learned later that the person who gave them their first mission was also a follower of this god who gave them all prophecies. Interesting. Did you find that um, players ever felt that was railroady? Just curious. Well, no, it was because it, it, it didn't. It wasn't because it felt like because all right. it was was getting the players together. It was a way of getting the players together without doing in a tavern or in this honestly it kind of yeah, if it felt yeah. railroady it should have because it was literally one god trying to railroad yeah, and real I mean, people all D campaigns start a little bit railroady <laughs> yeah and part of the part of the campaign was literally them choosing do we want to keep following this railroad or are we going to say screw you we don't uh, think what you're doing is good so we're going to go to the, your enemies instead and that's what they ended up doing now in that campaign, the god who was commanding, who was trying to get them to work for him and come together, was actually one of their parents. Oh. So one of them turned out to be a demigod and and had to just straight up to their parent be like, no, screw you, you're evil, I don't agree with what you're doing. And it was a really yeah. cool campaign. <laughs> Interesting. And that was the one that was primordials versus gods type yes. stuff, right? Yes. Cool, cool, cool. Now, at this quote that we just read out, the young people of the tribes of elves that would become Cormanther work to prove themselves worthy of this mantle, hoping to be the next Coronal. Now, the culture of these elves had a prevalent ritual that they would do to kind of test people's capabilities for multiple different jobs. They called them Blade That's Rites, a cool name. where two elven high mages and the one being tested would complete these rites with special blades forged for each job, and they would be tested and challenged in many different ways inside their mind. I feel like this is purposely left kind of vague so that like a DM could really make it what they want, but it says it kind of tests them in character, skill, capability, and like all these kind of things that it can really be left up to how does the DM want to test the player? So for this major decision, they created three elf blades. One, the ruler's blade, 
and two defender's blades. One called the war blade and the second called the art blade. Art blade? Like drawing, writing stuff? What was yes. it? Paintbrush? Yeah. <laughs> the ruler's blade chose Eltergrim to be the leader. And in doing so, he was given magic because of his connection to the blade. Now, this warrior, who all his life had trained for this, suddenly got thrown into the world of rulership and magic. He gave up his commission with the army and began to study the new magic that he now had access to. He studied this magic uh, in isolation for a long time to kind of get good at it. And he kind of developed who he was in that isolation. Also, the ideals of Coronal Oasenth permeated much of Eltergram's rule. The wish for unity among the elves of the area was definitely a goal of his. The areas around Cormanther. Okay. Eltergrim united much of the surrounding elves into kind of a a Cormanther as it was. Um, And as he did so, he kind of built it up as this kind of wonderful place. In doing so, uh, the area around got surrounded by many different individuals some human some goblin kind and even though in the history it was surrounded by other elven groups it was now surrounded by others this is when he came upon that we can't just hope to live here in uh, away from them forever they're going to come in at some point we need to figure this out and in this xenophobic society, it was not liked. It was a very, oh, why are you doing this? But he's like, no, we need to do it because either was we're going to be forced. You, mom, a human move next Yeah, door. pretty much. The areas around began to encroach on the elven land with goblins, humans, and more. And he began to make the types of decisions that would shadow his rule of this xenophobic society, starting with what's called the Dales Compact, where he made an allegiance with the humans nearby. As time went on, he concluded that Oasent's vow must have included the other races. So he set his vision not on just making the elves together, but making the world or the major area together as well. Seeing as that he felt that was part of what he was called to as not just a ruler, but as a chosen ruler. And in the end... He was incredibly successful at this, as I said last week, how he successfully created a city that was world-renowned for its culture and inclusivity. Now, it is said that he was so happy with what he had done, and as he grew old, and he got to see the city and nation and how it grew with everyone together, he actually went to death happily, choosing to ascend to the heavens when he did. There's always a butt, yeah. though. Where's the butt? I mean, I don't know if he was thick, but I mean, I'm sure he was. <laughs> okay. okay. All right. All right. All right. I set myself up for that. No game. You did. You did. <laughs> but surely this can't just be the happy uh, story. Surely there's a butt. No. Uh, well, I mean, you know right. what the butt was because we talked about it last week. How after he died, he left this magic sword, which chooses the successor to his chosen heir, Erave Irathil, his grandniece, but she never got to because she was killed. And 
he ended up being the last Coronal to rule over Cormanther as his death marked the death knell to the Empire, initiating a period called the Dusk, where they all kind of collapsed into a bunch of city-states. It was good while it lasted. It was. It was good while it lasted. But now I was thinking... We create an important A person. VIP, if you will. I don't know if they're very, but they are important. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> I think they're they're a an MVP maybe, but they're ah. they are I d I don't know what they do. I don't know if they're like uh, maybe we make them a profit since we, we talked about that earlier. Maybe they're hmm. a a chosen but not a prophet. Like they're chosen to be a a major person for a god, but they they have no actual like prophetic ability. Um, maybe they're just an incredible wizard who shapes nations and the world. I don't know who do you, who do you think this important person is? Boy, that is a really really tough question. Um, do you have any idea of where you want to fit this into the world and into the timeline? Like, is this going to be a major world changing event? You want it to be like near where the party I mean, takes place? I want place? it to be where the party takes place. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if I want that to be, I, I don't want it to be like, oh, he just showed up when the party's there. Or I, I kind of want it to be like the tail end. Like maybe he's dying and maybe that's like an important thing for the world is that this person is dying hmm interesting do you have any idea of what like what he did what you want him to do or we kind of just i do not okay 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 so this is pretty difficult because we have a really big Mm -hmm. time frame that we're working with and not a lot made about like the super modern part of our world um but maybe Mm -hmm. this guy can be part a major part of the modern world like maybe he you know founds Mm -hmm. a city or maybe Maybe, he maybe he um, does something that takes it from feeling like an old world to a modern world maybe he he creates something or helps build something that kind of makes it feel like it's modernized in a way hmm what do you what do you you think that feat of magic do you think that would be governance i don't think it would be governance i'm thinking magic conquest i'm thinking either he creates like a powerful artifact or item that kind of becomes just like so popular and so used in the modern world that it helps kind of um bring everything up or he like is such a major player in um in like I mean, maybe it's political. Maybe he is able to unify things that were normally like, hey, we're not making any progress in this area because all our focus is on fighting each other. And he's the one who's able to bring them out of that into the future. Hmm. What if... Okay, my first initial thought when we talked about magic is what if he is... Um, somebody who like studies the, um, I don't want to say the pursuit, the knowledge of how to keep magic from being like from waning and he develops some sort of society around that. That could be interesting. That could be very fun where it's like a very magical society, but well, so we already kind of did that That kind of that society that created that bubble to give themselves extra. What if, um, what if? what if instead he he what if he he finds a way to 
to create an item while magic is still prevalent enough that just helps make everyone's life easier as if it was a massively magical society but it's not anymore okay have we also determined what like our technology level would be because you could do something with this too with technology no like we could do like he's the guy who first invented gunpowder right and kind of is leading that kind of charge we could do something with steampunk could be really fun too like maybe he has a cool steamwork city that he made um oh okay how about this what if he's dead that's a good start he's dead at where (laughs) where where the where the party in the world takes place he's dead he actually was from like a super early time and he invented black powder but nobody cared because they had magic now that magic's dying, everyone is rushing to figure out how to use it. Ooh, that, that can be really interesting because nobody knows what to do with it yet. They're just like, okay, this can create a large spark or like a large, a large uh, explosion. I think it could also be... How do we use this? How do we make it... Uh, I like, think it'd also be fun to throw in a little bit of like... Um, I don't want to say robotics, but it could be fun to like throw in a little bit of uh, like golemancy or something in there too that... Uh, Maybe he he used or did because I think it could be really fun with with the world now mm-hmm. trying to search for well not I guess the world isn't hundred percent aware but um for more powerful figures within society to be looking for new answers and how they can control and rule the world so I really love the idea of gunpowder being a thing that this guy had invented and people are now searching for it the thing is is I don't know okay I'm not a scientist or an expert in this field or an alchemist is probably more the correct term. Mm-hmm. I don't really know the process of making gunpowder and how easy it is to figure out. <laughs> Sorry, did you call <laughs> right? them an alchemist? I don't really know. What was that? Did you call them an alchemist? Well, you know, could be an alchemist. Like that's what you think the real world. No, no, in the real world it's yes. a chemist. Yes, yes. But yes. Yes, but I'm talking D&D world. D&D world an alchemist okay. would probably make okay. an alchemist would probably you make said, gunpowder. I'm not one of these. So you're clearly talking no, about the no, real well, world. I, I, and I'm I, like, wait, did you just say in the real world you okay, call yeah, it I an alchemist? I can see how that was incredibly confusing. I'm like I I think it would be very I think it would be very funny to call a real life chemist. Oh, you're an alchemist. <laughs> Listen, chemist is in the name, right? <laughs> I don't know how they would take it, but I think it would be very funny. No, I was just I don't know if I was in this I'm, I was just trying to put myself in the fantasy world. If I was like an alchemist or yeah. um, like somebody who was good with magic, how easy would it be for me to discover and figure out how gunpowder works? And I don't know the answer to that, which I guess we could make it difficult. But mm-hmm. like could a mad can't could somebody who wants to find gunpowder figure out how to make something explode with gunpowder? Probably. Right. So I mm-hmm. like the idea of it being gunpowder, but I think it could be interesting if it was something more, but I, don't, I have no idea what, what something more would be, though. Like, if magic was waning, the next logical step would be, I mean, honestly, probably gunpowder. <laughs> That's probably what it would be. That's the problem. Yeah, gunpowder is such a good... I mean, unless we did... Okay, if, I mean, if we again, don't want to do gunpowder... But, but see, no, we want it. We want it. If we're going to create a steampunk world, we need to start from day one thinking it's steampunk and create something really interesting. I don't, I don't think we I can do that this way. So I, I want to start like, with. Say we have a, a society that, you know, this creation exploded. Well, okay, I, I don't mean, the world I don't mean that that's magical, how it has kind of to we... be. 
I just think that's what Got I it. want it to be when we create for our first steampunk world. I think we're definitely going to create multiple at, by the end of this. But I think Got it. for our first one, I want it to be devoted to how is this world okay. steampunk? Okay, yeah, no, okay, I got it, I got it, that makes sense. So then, I guess gunpowder would be the logical yeah. next step. Um, but what did he, he just, he yeah. discovered how to make gunpowder? Yeah, and is he died in obscurity. And so, like, nobody knows about this substance called gunpowder, or, you know, the black, black bomb. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know what it would probably be called, I don't know what it would be called. Would it be called gunpowder? The soot of the gods. Probably not. What was that? The soot ah, of the gods. God yes. <laughs> you take something cool and you make it lame. You're really good, Aaron. You're good okay. at that. Let's so roll gunpowder. I think that works. I think let's roll gunpowder. So he, he created gunpowder. What was he doing yep. with this gunpowder? What was his purpose? Was he was he just, just an inventor. Experimenting? Was he was an he... inventor who figured it out. And he was like, that's so cool. I can do magic without magic. He or maybe that's what he was trying to do. Maybe he was. Yeah. Maybe he. Oh, okay. He's actually someone who's terrible, like just a horrible person. And he did. He like screwed. Like he. Whoa. he like, <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> either he messed with the gods some way. Either he messed with the gods some way, or he hurt a bunch of people, and the gods cursed him. But whatever it is, the gods took away all magic okay. from this okay. person. So he, in an earlier age, had to figure out how do I do magic without right, magic? Well, my mind. So maybe he. So maybe now that everyone's having that problem, they're like, hey, wasn't there that guy from history who tried to do that? Okay. The first thing my mind goes to, and feel free to absolutely blow up my idea, pun intended. But what if he, we haven't really created the person who figured out or discovered that the divine gate is closing and that's what's shutting off magic. What if he mm-hmm. wanted to create a substance that could theoretically explode or blow up the divine gate and let magic pour down onto society again? Oh, and he so was he, trying to blow up the divine yeah, gate? Yeah, like he was trying to literally... No, not that it would work. That is interesting, you, and I like that. Like, <laughs> I, and then my second question was going to be, well, would it my, work? Here's my thought. And this is super outlandish and could be incredibly silly. But what if we run with the idea of like the soot of the gods? And what if he, when making and experimenting with this, he had such a huge explosion within like maybe the mountain society that it caused some sort of eruption? And so there's like a whole story dedicated to the soot of the gods where like this is their wrath. You don't experiment with this stuff because this is what happens when you use when you use the black powder. Mm -hmm. Right. When you use this stuff, this is what our wrath does to the people. And so maybe there's like a story involved with this explosion that happened um, that created some sort of, you know, slight like like calamity like a small little you know disaster of some kind but it could be very interesting to do something like that agreed thoughts Uh uh-huh totally agree okay so let's figure out how did he come to the knowledge that magic was ending and the divine gate was closing you said gods possibly took this magic away they they did something 
he did something that made them angry. He I know I have a hard I'm I having a hard time with it though. I don't more. know what he did. Whether it was like like incredibly terrible, like he he did like genocide and terrible things, or it was just like he or he just like he pissed off a god. I kind of want to stay away from he did terrible things, and I kind of want to go more towards the line okay. of like a genius, like a prodigy. And I'm thinking there, there's got to be some sort of connection between him wanting to keep magic around the gods and then trying to use a device that gives people magic back. So he grew up as like a genius and a prodigy with magic and research and study. And he figured out the reason behind the waning of magic or he maybe discovered that magic was waning one of the firsts or maybe you know one of those because it hasn't been waning for long right that's kind of our idea or it has been but not very noticeable Mm -hmm. until you know starting to get more noticeable people haven't noticed it yet okay yeah do we have an exact reason like we have the divine gate is closing but do we have I can't remember if we made the reason behind why the divine gate is closing. Was it because the gods wanted to um, stop magic from happening? Was that what we were thinking? Because they wanted to be the only gods left, so they were stopping the creation well, energy. So they, that was why they they threw the um, right the meteor. So is down, this like a much. is this like a um, you know humans are starting to learn how to create with magic, so they're starting to the gods are trying to. No, so what was happening again? was there was a creature like on the world that was drawing right. in uh, energy, right. magic, and it was making magic right. wane. I don't think uh, there was the god who got kicked out of heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, do we have do we have the gods trying to kill I, I this creature? That, I don't think I don't think we ever had. I don't think the, we made um, a reason why the, the magic was. I don't well I don't think I don't think that it is. I don't think the divine gate needs to be closing. I think the divine gate is just really hard to get through. So, okay. Here's how I want to possibly close all these gaps. No pun intended yet again. But I'm thinking we have this being down on the earth, on the material plane that is like absorbing and taking away magic, okay? And I'm thinking that mm-hmm. when this meteor hit this creation energy and it shot magic throughout the world, I'm thinking that um, maybe there was some sort of, um, I'm thinking maybe the gods put a, after seeing all these things that it was creating, like storms and plagues and you know disasters, that maybe they sealed some of this magic away with the divine gate kind of allowing the amount of magic to occur and fall through, okay? I think that's incredibly reasonable, and I think that's interesting. I then think the gods yet again start seeing that when this divine gate is open and more magic falls onto society, that um, the world becomes yet again another place where gods can be created, because that was our reason for them destroying this creation energy in the first place, okay? So 
maybe we had some sort of event in history where somebody ascends to godhood using a magical ritual or something, okay? Something along those lines where the gods are like, whoa, 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 you know, we're we're the only gods that should be, you know, created, you know, continuing to exist and be created. And so what I think is they find the gods come to the attention that there is a magical being that is eliminating magic within the world, okay? Like it's slowly absorbing and destroying magic. And so the gods think if we close the divine gate, the access point to which magic flows through and the access point for them to get to us, that if we close it, the rest of the remaining magic within the world will eventually disappear and there will be no more creation when it comes to magic, right? No more gods being created. No more, you know, powerful entities Mm -hmm. or powerful beings being released or created or, you know, thought up of. And so they start closing the gate, which then directly impacts the amount of magic that flows through to the world. When there's no more, when you cut off the source or dam up the river, so to speak, this entity that's in the pond already that's drinking all the water will drink all of it until it's gone. And so they're like, this is our way to stop humanity. And, you know, I think they'd probably be thinking it's for good reason too, right? thinking you know maybe we can stop humanity from destroying itself from creating gods that they don't they shouldn't be creating from you know how about this probably selfish reasons too can we do this can we change it to a thing out of fear sure yeah so what there's so so reasons so this 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 creature that's on the on the earth some reason it has like protection against gods like i don't know how what it does but the gods can't find it the gods can't affect it in any way because it was made out of the energy that created them, like maybe that has something to do with it. They're unable to okay. affect yeah. it. Yeah. But they realize what you just said. The magic comes from them. So they close the divine gate. Eventually, this thing will run out of, of energy to absorb and will yeah. just die. Okay. Yeah. No, I think so. That's... They're like, hey, we can just start again. We can just create another world. We just got to let this thing die out of starvation. Perfect. No, I think that's that is that is a perfect, a perfect you know, reasoning. And I think that's a, you know, they see this magical creature and perhaps they're worried that it might become a God. Perhaps they're worried that if it does become a God and they can't hurt it because it's made of this creation energy, you know, what's going to happen to them? What's going to happen to humanity? So their ultimate goal. Exactly. It's, it's right. So their ultimate goal is to prevent this thing from becoming the magical divine entity that they believe it might be. And I think gods in this world aren't necessarily all knowing. I think I like that because it no, they're definitely not. Like it, right? Um, maybe there's a god yeah. who... I, I, I like the fact that they're created by people right. that they just kind of, because of that, exactly. they are. They're limited as well. Um, in that, in, at least yeah. in that terms. But um, yeah, I like that a lot. So they can't see the future. They don't know what's going on. So they start to close the divine gate so that this magical entity will starve itself out, so to speak, of magical energy. Enter our brave, mm-hmm. magical genius who figures out somehow finds out that um there is this gate that is slowly closing that's preventing the magical energy from falling to the earth and it would obviously affect him heavily because he is an arcane practitioner so he starts Mm. to um research into why this divine gate is closing or what is this divine gate and start trying to figure out you know essentially what's going on here 
And the gods are like, no, 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 <laughs> right? The gods wouldn't like that for obvious reasons. They don't want them, him to ruin any mm -hmm. plan. They don't want the secret getting out. So they take away his ability to do magic so he can no longer practice and no longer influence the divine gate, this magical creature or anything like that. So they try and take away mm -hmm. his magic. Well, this obviously makes him super sketched out about the gods as it would. And so he starts to think, how can I regain my power and deliver the world back the magic that it's lost? And that is through some sort of other medium that you can use to blow up the gate and bring it back to the world. And so he mm -hmm. makes and discovers gunpowder. He then, and this is where I, I want your expertise, if you will. Does he blow it up himself or does something sabotage it? Does how does he come to this glorious explosion? Does this he glorious end? Does he that also explode what himself? Like, does he create a bunch of black powder and like explode it himself, thinking he can get to the gate? Does he do some sort of experiment that he like launches it from a trebuchet? Like, what are we? Like, what is? Does does he get to that point? Does he? Does somebody stop him? Does something stop him? I, I think. What are we? What are we looking at here? I think that he. I'm okay if it's funny too. To be honest, it, to... it could be very comical. <laughs> okay, I think he tries to f use it to fly because he needs to reach the gate. <laughs> okay. So first, he tries to create some way to fly up there, and it goes horribly Do you think he, wrong. Like, creates a bunch of black powder, loads it all up, aims it up like maybe he's at the top of the, this volcano. Okay, he oh yes, I like this actually. He climbs up to the top of this volcano with all this black powder he's created. Okay, and he. You know, he gets to the peak of the gods, right? The place that's closest to the gods. And he decides that he can use this black powder to fly it up towards the divine gate and then explode it all. But I think, and this is, I think, where you're probably going with this, is that instead of propelling it at beautiful speeds towards the divine gate, the entire thing explodes. Well, so no, I kind of want it to be. I kind of want it to be. He's holding like goes, a, a, a bunch of it in his hands, like he has like um, the package that he's gonna light when he gets to the gate in his hands. He has some strapped to like special boots that are like rocket boots, but he doesn't realize how unstable it is, and so when he launches. He accidentally ignites the stuff in his hands. Okay. What is the scale? I think our scale might be a little bit off. My scale versus your scale. What is like one third? What is the amount one that to, he one to has three. at his disposal? One to three, or maybe like one one for every three inches or something. I don't know. Because I'm thinking the amount of. I'm talking about scale. Okay. No? Yeah. No. You know what? <laughs> I'm thinking that the amount of black powder he has is not as simple as a one unit to three inches. <laughs> I'm thinking <laughs> he's got a lot of black powder, and I'm talking... I think he, can, like, I think he could have as much as he wants, as much I as think, he can make. Yeah, and I think he spent years and years producing this black powder and hauling it up. What does he use to haul it up? Oh, man. That is a question. Well, I think that's that's details, but... He has spent years creating and making this bomb 
to deliver to the arcane gate or no, to the divine gate. No, no, no. I got just... it. I got it. I got it. Okay, okay. Okay. So, yes, he spent years. He has a huge stash. What he does is he, like, every so year, every few years takes a pilgrimage with everything that he's made so far and brings it up to his kind of storage spot yep. in the mountains. He doesn't know there is a half-life. Like, there is a time that it becomes less explosive so he goes up there after like near the end of his life as he's like okay this is the last shot i have as much as i think i can make before i i don't know if i'm gonna live or not because i could die any time he goes to light a whole bunch of it off to kind of propel him it doesn't explode very much because it's it's kind of reached it's kind of like it's not as useful after a certain amount of years (laughs) he didn't know that so he tries, oh, he's like, he's first off incredibly frustrated. And in his frustration, he puts a huge amount underneath him to to help launch him. Most of it is new powder. And he just blows up. It doesn't go well. <laughs> now, now, here's, <laughs> I have an, another idea that kind of plays off this. What mm. if like, he doesn't know there's a half-life of, you know, black powder. He doesn't know that, you know, he's trying to light it off and nothing seems to be working. <laughs> what if he, like, knows that he's on a volcano and he's like, well, what better way to light something on fire than to use the volcano? And, like, he either dump like dumps a bunch of it in there to get, like, the volcano to trigger or he... Cause I want this to be a like a disaster. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> well, I mean, after like, after he explodes, you can definitely have the rest of it the volcano. fall into <laughs> the oh, volcano no. and then collapse the volcano. Oh, no. So it falls in. The rest of the stuff explodes the walls of the volcano out. Then there's a huge like landslide or earthquake, which actually would make the volcano explode oh, sure. as well. Yeah. <laughs> if it's like which a lot. would devastate I mean, we, I mean, even more. It needs to be a ton, but okay. I think I think we have I think that I think that's what happens. And I think we have this down, so I think I'm going to end it here. This is episode 85 of Dungeoneered. A very explosive episode, if you will. Thank you all for listening. It it was. If you listen to us on eight podcasting apps that have ratings and reviews, it really helps the show. If you write a review, uh, really shows you're engaging with the show. Blow up that like button. Yeah, blow up that like button. Uh, it really helps show the, um, that you're engaging with the show in more ways than just one. Um, kind of brings more and attention some to the fireworks show. Fireworks in the comments, please. Um, if you okay, um, <laughs> would like to write to us, you can write to us at dungeoneered at hotmail.com. We'd love to hear from you if you uh, have like ideas for topics or lukewarm opens or just want to talk to us about something interesting we made or you made or uh, we just love to hear it. We like like to hear from our fans. Um, Anything else you can add, Aaron? I don't think so. Okay. I think I'm good. Well, as I always say, always remember to be the sharpest <laughs> barrel you so much. in the bunch. <laughs> See you next Bye. time. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>